Dear Mom and Dad, I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks, and I'm getting very scared. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor. I'm Tim. I'm Leo. I'm Austin. I'm Rachel. And we're, we're the, the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 45. This week we invite singer, songwriter, Amigo the Devil. Learn about his unique style of music coined as murder folk. Hear about the horror films that inspired him, as well as the dark side of reality horror. Amigo will take you through his macabre collection. Then, it's Terror Tunes, where he'll play a selection of songs from his new album, Everything is Fine, available now. You can also watch those performances at YouTube.com slash The Boo Crew. First, it's off to a remote hillside in the Alps. Thanks for being with us. What have you Satan is his father, not Guy. He came up from hell and begat a son of mortal woman. Hail Satan! This is Amigo the Devil, and you're being possessed by another episode of The Boo Crew. The Boo Crew, the freshest cuts of new stuff. Here's Sweet Screams. Hagazusa, a heathen's curse. If you're listening to this at the time of release, opened in select cities April 19th, hit VOD and DVD April 23rd. The film school grad project of new director Lucas Fagelfeld stars Alexandra Quinn, Tanya Petrovsky, Claudia Martini, and Selena Peter takes place in the 1400s. An orphaned young woman growing up in isolation in the Austrian Alps becomes a scapegoat for witchcraft hysteria. What do we all think of this one, guys? This is a unique film. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) Yeah. You see it's 93% on Rotten Tomatoes? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think if you are expecting a typical film, it's like a lot of the blowback from The Witch, right? That a lot of people didn't like The Witch because it's this slow burn, unexpected type of horror. Yeah, it was unexpected, some stuff. And this or The Witch? Or both? Both, but this. Well, unexpected during The Witch, you got called out because one of our kids were sick, so I think you saw... Yeah, that was very unexpected. That was 20 minutes into The Witch. Yeah, Yeah. that sucked. Oh, jeez. Anyway, back to... uh... (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so this film, it's similar to The Witch. I would say it makes The Witch look like a Final Destination movie. Right, if you you thought The Witch was an art house film. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like Turner and Hooch uh, compared to... uh, uh, this one not in a bad way though. not in a bad way no, no. it's no. what for what it is i thought it was really beautiful and really captivating. like i was sucked in on the first shot and once you just give over to the tone and pacing then i think it leaves you with a lot to think about i don't know i didn't love it i've been thinking about it but i wanted to like the witch left me with a feeling this didn't leave me with a feeling it ended and i you know i thought about it a bit and sort of talked more about sort of themes and tones and what everything meant because nothing is explained. I wish I felt more uneasy. Not that I don't want to feel uneasy, but... It's a lot of disturbing things happened. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's disturbing. It was perfectly disturbing. Almost no dialogue. Yeah. Maybe like, I don't know, 30 lines in the whole film. Yeah. yeah. Because of that, I thought of movies like... Well, not just The Witch, but I, I thought of uh, Let the Right One In, which has very little dialogue in the whole movie. And then I thought of The Revenant, because maybe of the cinematography. Like, I maybe. felt a lot of it might have been, like, natural lighting. Yeah, yeah. And mm. I thought, wow, this reminds me of The Revenant. It looks spectacular. The director yeah. came from a photography background. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. And I think that's why every 
set piece in that movie looks like it's a painting. It totally yeah. does. Like whether yeah. it's a hillside because it's beautiful. It's shot in the middle of the Alps in the right. middle of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. The forests. There's a lot of winter scenes in the right. first part of the movie. Everything looks like a painting. Yeah. That whole church moment oh, with like yeah. all yeah, the skulls so and the cool. priests. Yes. I'm like, where is that? Right. <laughs> yeah, that must exist, right? I hope they didn't build it. I hope that exists. And it was, yeah, fill all the bones and stuff. Yeah. What's that called? An ossuary? Is that what they call it? Yeah. Like it yeah. was like so well done for like a film graduation project? Yeah, that, no. that, that like, blows my mind. Yeah, that part blew my yeah. mind. I'm like, how is this a grad school project? It looks like a well-crafted a veteran filmmaker who made this. He had said in an interview that I was reading that his approach was he wanted to create a film that put the viewer in a hypnotic dreamlike mm. state. And in doing that, offering a view into the mind of someone who is going delusional to let the audience fall into the mood of the story without dialogue and everything getting in the way. I think one way that he really captured this just from go when you start watching the movie is the score. Yeah. Which it sounds like 3,000 didgeridoos. Right. Just, <laughs> <laughs> like, like you can feel it in your body. I was looking up the band that did it and they're called MMMD and they're a Greek band. They look like if the Babadook was in a band. <laughs> they wear there's like two guys in head to toe in black robes with wide brim witch hats and black hoods oh my god and they play in churches and stuff it's like wow with like death metal vocals <laughs> one of them sings <laughs> like it's this, this movie had a very death metal look to it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. lots of bodily fluids yeah. yes. <laughs> yes and animal the actors delivered their lines in an Austrian dialect which was different from the German language which I found was interesting I would have never noticed that unless I looked that up hmm. yeah nicely done nicely researched <laughs> thanks was it the Austrian Alps yeah yes. yep. is it an old language like that was the thing I wondered too like you know how the witch was like old old English yeah, yeah right yeah yeah, the, again, I would have never known if this was an old. The word Austrian Hegazusa yeah. is in the language of High German. That's where the word Haxen comes from, which later yes. became the term for witch. witch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's an old silent or like 1920s mm-hmm. movie called Haxen. I've yes. heard of. Yeah, I haven't watched that. it, but I, yeah, I, I yeah. hear about it all the time. It's great. Is it a documentary or is it a? It kind of plays out like a documentary. It, yeah, same. Well, kind of like this in that, if I remember, I haven't seen it in a while, but it puts you in a story. Yes. And sort of like this does, where it doesn't feel artifice. It feels like this movie, I forget that there's a movie. Like, you forget that there's a film crew filming this. It feels like it's just happening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it exactly sure right. does. It sure does. And that's what uh, Haxon sort of has going for a similar tone, but in the 1920s. This movie is horror in the sense that it does get inside your head. It's more like the real life horrors, though, the aftermath of sexual abuse, the awful things humans do to each other, the horrors of the prosecution of the witch trials. No boo scares in this one, but some pretty disturbing things that you probably won't be able to get out of your head. But definitely, I think, worth a watch. I mean, it's yes. it's certainly well done at what it is. It's not my type of movie. I don't right. typically. I didn't. I wasn't a huge fan of the witch. Right, I right. like the witch. Um, we bought a witch painting. We did buy a painting. Well, the painting is fucking cool. It is. <laughs> Wait till you see the painting. Wait till you see the painting. It's actually framed in like bunches of twig, twigs, twigs and stuff. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Really yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm just not um, really into the art house. What I would describe as like art house horror, and the witch was a little bit deep into that for me. But still. 
this one made the witch look like Adam Sandler's Big Daddy or something. <laughs> <laughs> I like Big Daddy. That was really one. fun. Is that the one where he's like, pee in your pants is cool. Yeah. Is that it or no? Yeah. The thing that this left me with was the idea of, are they witches or do they become witches because of people treating them that way? Like, that's one of those things where really, like, like you said, like the Salem witch trials, like. Yes, it kind of feels that way. Yeah. What I like is using the sort of all of this sort of aggressive style just to ask that simple question. I mean, that's my big takeaway. It's kind of the horrors of humanity. Who's the monster here? Yeah. A lot of great horror movies are based off of that. And Stephen King novels. And lots of horror stories based off of Big Daddy. (laughs) Pissing everywhere. What the hell? Like my everyday. Yeah, that's real life. That's That's the real life horrors. That's <laughs> is stupid witch who answers back must burn until her bones are black. No, no. A foolish witch without a brain must sizzle in the fiery flame. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. I got a hundred pound problem and I'm leaning on the side of the road. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a prolific and mysterious singer-songwriter whose cathartic tomes lurk in the shadows of the darker side of human nature. A voice like whiskey-soaked leather delivering hymns from an abandoned church telling tales of addiction, love, and harrowing loss amidst the creaks of an old oak-paneled confessional. Much of his work inspired by an obsession with true crime and horror films. He is a trailblazer and pioneer who has brought the term murder folk into the modern vernacular. His debut album is out now called Everything is Fine, and you can catch him touring everywhere throughout the summer, including the massive Woodstock 50 Festival in New York. This is the guy whose almost shocking transgression led to his debut EP selling out based on word of mouth entirely without even having so much as a website. People have described their experience with his new record as turning their world upside down. We are honored to welcome Amigo the Devil. Yeah. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. I appreciate it so much, man. Let's talk about your passion of horror films. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are your earliest (laughs) memories of being exposed to the genre. My absolute first was Sleepaway Camp. Wow! Oh, wow. Uh, I remember that was one of the most shocking moments I had as a kid. Yeah, talk about being exposed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, kind of from that moment, I realized that things were not going to be the same. <laughs> it's hard to step out of that one. Yeah. Did you know what was about to happen at the end of that movie, or was it? Uh, no, I had no shock? idea. Wow! It was my older cousin who played it for me, and uh, I was young at that point. How old were you? Oof, must have been six or seven. Wow. wow. Our son would flip his shit if he oh. saw that. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was my older cousin, and I remember the whole time, the whole movie, he's next to me sitting there looking at me, just waiting. He knew. He knew. And it was just like someone, just so much anticipation. And then finally when it happened, he was like, <laughs> like right, right before. Was, uh, uh, seven, that's when I started watching horror movies too, man. Yeah. <laughs> it, right it works. <laughs> that What's creepy about that movie also is the mom. I went back and watched yeah. a little bit of it recently and she's the mm-hmm. way she's 
Angela, yeah. time to go. <laughs> Take that yeah. mommy dearest vibe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Talked into. Exactly. <laughs> so where did it go from that point on? Did you uh, make discoveries on your own or what are the, some of uh, the other early ones you remember? Like they live, that kind of thing. Just yeah, kind of tucked into nice. the whole be real thing if you want to. But I got into the, the shock value stuff really early on, like the pseudo snuff type Gore. Were you into Faces of Faces Death and all yeah, that stuff? Faces yeah, Faces of Death, and uh, it was this this German one, like Suicide. Oh. I think it was a trauma one actually, but it wasn't one of their main ones. It was just one of the movies they brought on board. Essentially, yeah. that kind of made it really hard to top anything or to shock me after that point. And it was all obviously just really hidden. I had to go out there and either steal it from my cousin or find it some other way and just like tuck it in under my bed. <laughs> and, <all that>. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember my mom walking in on me watching. Um, I think it was one of the original Troll. I don't remember, but that was the worst beating I've ever got in my life. Wow. You know, I mean, I, my mom's small Latin fury. So <laughs> she's, she's like four foot nothing and just has the hand of steel. But, and I should preface, not, not a real beating, not like black and blue, just it's a lesson, straight. a reminder. Right. Yeah. Yeah. reminder. What was your source of getting, you said like, you know, it's taking them from cousins and stuff. Cause I remember as probably a lot of these people in this room, a lot of that stuff you'd have to get at conventions on mixed like VHS tapes that were packed yeah. with stuff and you never know what you would get mm -hmm. on them, right? I remember there was a, there was a magazine from this local record store in Miami because I grew up in Miami. And they had this outsourced thing where the guy in there was super into horror. He had this little catalog that he would just order things in. And every time we'd go in there, I would grab one of those catalogs and I'd write out these fake checks and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd get, we'd get VHS tapes that way. I'd and they were like 90 down. bucks or 100. They were oh, like, was, you know, some of them were like, I remember I got Faster Pussycat Kill Kill for like, I think it was $300 for the VHS. You paid $300? Yeah, well, because back in those days, you'd have to buy them from this Canadian dollars. Yeah, Canadian dollars. You'd have to buy them from distributors who were selling them yeah, not yeah, for you know private use, but for video I mean, stores. We never paid that much for a VHS, though. Yeah, it was that was yeah. Faster Pussycat was like impossible That's to crazy. find. Crazy. And now you, you can get it everywhere. How would you get three hundred dollars? Good question. <laughs> paper route. That would deliver Damn, papers. That's a, yeah. a hell of a paper route. <laughs> <laughs> probably so, uh, too much. VHSs are coming back. They are. Yeah, they mm -hmm. are. Yeah. It's like a new craze. The bigger the clamshell box, the, the cooler it seems. <laughs> Well, they just did that, didn't they? The, the video violence, they had the big old plastic case that came with a shirt and all that, and it was double VHS. I think that was like two years ago or three years ago that they re-released that, and that thing was pricey. People are still paying the... You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. <laughs> did some of the like super creepy shit end up on some of those videotapes you're watching before YouTube, and that's the only place to see this crazy shit was on these like videotapes people would pass around. Yeah, the compilation ones. I remember yeah. Some of them that I have, uh, I still have some of them that are just blank. They were these compilations of all these deaths and all that. That was probably the first time I ended up with real deaths, not movie deaths. And that's another turning point where things just, you know, became a little darker yeah. than they should have. Do you remember that uh, website, uh, Steak and Cheese? Oh, <laughs> there was so many good websites back. Consumption Junction. Consumption Junction. Yeah. Rotten was the, the basic oh, Rotten, one. Oh, Rotten, yeah. Rotten was kind of the, the biggest one that they got taken down first. And then there were all the subscription sites. E-bombs world. E-bombs started really wild. That, yeah. that was a wild thing. And then it became like just more the YouTube rather yeah, comedy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just the goofy stuff. They had a lot of deaths on there too. Yeah. Wow, man. Um, <laughs> so you ended up 
coming out to L.A. when you were about 18 mm-hmm. with a dream of making horror films, correct? Yeah. So how did that trajectory work? I failed. <laughs> That's it. I realized it was just not, it was too intricate. Where did you go and what was your first kind of attempt to do it? My attempt lasted about a week and it was just, really? it was just L.A. film school. Okay. And just I realized it wasn't for me, not because of any other reason than I wasn't driven enough at that point in my life. Like I was too young and I didn't have the drive I needed to pursue it. So I figured let's do the next obvious thing and not go to school at all. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But then subsequently I ended up in culinary school and brewing school, things like that, that had nothing to do with any of it. So kind of. And you're still into brewing to this day. I love, love, love beer. I just don't have time to do it as much as I wish I did. Right. Do you do it as a hobby basically out of your place? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever we have time. That's cool. The industry is a weird industry to be in. You have to be fully immersed or out of it. And there's really no one foot in kind of thing. It's all or nothing. Yeah. What is the story behind the development of the Amiga the Devil persona? I think it came very, very naturally out of boredom where I was living in San Francisco. And that's a point where I was basically living at the brewery, not literally, but I was there working, you know, 12, 13 hours a day learning how to brew. And uh, I didn't have a lot of friends, didn't have a lot going on around me. I couldn't afford to do anything. And I had picked up a banjo a couple of years before that as a joke, because growing up in Miami, we didn't have any of that around me. I saw an affordable banjo and I was like, oh, okay, this will be cool. This is funny. <laughs> and it sat in my place for a while. Just bored one day, picked it up and figured, all right, let's see what we can do with this. And started, this? Uh, that would have been 2000 eight or nine, something like that. Just started figuring out the banjo and realized it's a lot more versatile than people give it credit for. And then I kind of just fell in love with the sounds. And then in that same realm, I started discovering music that I hadn't been exposed to before, like folk and older root stuff. I started realizing, God damn, these are really dark stories. Like this whole murder ballad thing is a real thing. And then like Marty Robbins with the gunslinger ballads and all that. And I fell in love with the storytelling aspect. So I said, I'll I'll try to write something. And, you know, naturally my inclination is towards writing about people dying or whatever it is. So (laughs) darkness just came out there. One thing I wanted to ask about as well is that you're an artist who brings with you a very well thought out tangible experience for us as well in terms of the presentation of your work. You released that stunning Amigo the Devil Volume 1, the 2LP vinyl set that had your first three EPs. It was kind of chronicling the first five years of your career. And had all the lyrics written on this newspaper thing and this gorgeous artwork. How important is that element to you to showcase your art? I think that since music is intangible, that's the closest thing that people are going to get to being able to hold what your music is. So I uh, instinctually had to put a little more thought into it than I wanted to, just because it's, it's a lot easier to just kind of slap together a couple images and, and throw it out there. But I was trying to think, all right, how can we make the tangible product cooler than just a vessel for music? So we put a lot of thought into what goes into it and all that. And my buddy Justin does all the visual stuff. He does oh, all cool. the designs and all that. Did he do the logo he did that's he a did the beautiful logo. logo he's a good dude he's uh he's out of toronto been with me since day one he kind of actually slid into my life before i was doing this full time he kind of messaged me and said hey your art sucks 
I'm going to take over this. And, and I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, he sent me a couple of designs and, and we started working together. And now all I have to do is tell him what I want and just, just summarize it in a couple of different words and he'll slap together right away. It's amazing. The new album does perhaps the most amazing job of capturing your energy and raw emotion. And it was produced by the legendary Ross Robinson who worked with Korn and at the drive-in Slipknot, The Cure, among countless others. How did Ross help get you to where you want it to be? He um, he has a really unique talent of breaking people down to a million different pieces. I thought I was going to go in there and be the one person he couldn't break because I'm stubborn, <laughs> obviously. We clicked immediately. And he allowed me to break that wall down just right away. It was nothing holding back. And then through the process, right before we'd track or anything like that, we'd talk for about an hour. And he would sit there and uh, ask me all these questions that basically clarified that I had no idea what the song really was about. Interesting. And what? then we would rebuild those pieces into what the song truly was about in my subconscious instead of what I assumed it was about. And every song ended up being about something way more personal than I thought it was. So that was a cool experience. That's just nice. really amazing. And I think a lot of people don't realize that with him, for example, it's not that he's capturing the breakdown. He's capturing the realization of what you didn't know, which is way cooler because that's like a shock value thing. Where'd you record this at? Valentine Studio. Yeah, it's like North Hollywood, Did but you, it's... Um, was this like live performances, like guitar and vocals at the same time? Yeah, we did guitar, vocals, same time, and then kind of added everything on. Um, we had Brad Wilk do all the percussion and drumming and all that stuff. That's right. Did you do the guitars first? Like, For some songs, yeah. To a click? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, we just kind of just ripped it, and then Brad would just hold on tight. <laughs> <laughs> how'd you hook up with brad i mean brad's doing bridge and machine and how did you guys meet oh. that was all ross he called me one day he goes hey i think i have a drummer for the record and i was like cool thanks and he goes, oh, it's a, it's this guy brad wilk and i was like <laughs> what <laughs> wait is this the studio that was like shut down forever yeah so oh. they closed it in the late 70s. Oh, wow. They shut it down. And then the kids of the uh, the, the owner who, who passed away didn't know what to do with it. So they just like sealed it off because they didn't want to mess up his legacy or anything like that. I guess two years ago now, they reopened it with all the original gear. We did everything straight to tape, everything analog. It was wild. Wow. I'd never done that. So. Whoa, it was like yeah. a time capsule. Yeah. yeah. They're probably like a puff of dust came in when you opened the door. Oh, there's shag carpeting everywhere. <laughs> like in the bathroom, on the wall, everything. I was, I'm sure if you got a little card and just scraped some stuff up, there's everything you could find in there. It's <laughs> Ghost of the 70s. <laughs> it still smells there. I know. Scooter, like a uh, 24 track. It was taped though. Let's go. It was, yeah, it was taped. Actually, it was. It was. Yeah, it was a 24. Your first early demos were all done like on digital? Yeah. Going back to tape would have been like something shocking to you. You're like, oh shit, we got this one take or I had no idea what to do, yeah. It was basically me messing up a lot and feeling really bad about it (laughs) because... Yeah, but there's nothing like tape. No. There's just the sound to it. It's warm. You can get plug-ins and just get close to it. You're never going to get that sound. It's tape. It's cool because when I would hear the playback, like it sounds like it's alive. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like all those records we grew up on, you know. It's kind of like when things are shot on film, it's just 
so beautiful. Yeah, it has similar. such a yeah, unique... and projected on film, yes. even more so. It has a life to it that yeah. just digital just doesn't have. It's subtle, and I don't think a lot of people really capture it. But if you know, if you can hear it and you can see it, it's night and day. I agree. I kind of like that it can be destroyed. Like I like that it it, it can age, that it's fragile yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah, right. it's tape. ephemeral. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you gotta you know it gets old. You gotta bake it sometimes. Old it's, tape. Yeah, when it flakes. Oh, yeah. Really? Put yeah. yeah. Literally put it in the oven, and then you get one final play out of it. And wow. It, and it's gone forever. What? Which I love yeah. that. Yeah. To, to me, that's cool because it's just. Yeah. Well, it goes back to the suicide videos. I think most things do at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a bit about any of the true crime and horror references that managed to creep themselves into this new album. The true crime references came about with videos like the Budwar one, where. I realized that reality is way crazier and more terrifying than the alternative. So I started diving into true crime stories and all that. The one part I couldn't understand while I was digging into all these stories was that these were still people doing terrible things. But, you know, what's the link between, like, what's the difference between a person who's not crossing that line and the person who is? And I tried to study as many of those cases as I could to try to find some sort of general reference to associate with, right? I don't know if it's just trying to empathize or anything like that, which is a terrible thing to empathize with someone doing that stuff, but I realized that a lot of those emotions are, all of the emotions, they're the same as what everyone else feels. Jealousy is jealousy no matter what. It's just reacted to differently. So it isn't the feeling or the vibe that is different. We all feel the same things that they do on a different scale. We just react to them differently. And that was a very interesting concept to me. So I wanted to write from the most extreme perspective possible and try to associate them with everyday emotions and situations. So that's where the true crime thing came in. Were you just like watching documentaries, reading things? Did you go so far as getting actual items or memoirs or anything like that? How did the research process work for you? It definitely started with reading, mostly reading. And then I started writing to a few of them. Do you have a favorite true crime novel? Deviant. Yeah, it's about Ed Gein. It's, it's just concise. It's easy, but it's sufficient and it gets a point across in, in a weird way. I enjoy it. You know, it's a good uh, true. I just read uh, Helter Skelter, man. That's a good oh, true yeah. crime. It is. Yeah. It is classic. The DA wrote it. You know what I mean? So he was right there. Crazy book. There's a really good podcast called True Murder. I haven't heard that one yet. They review a different book every week. True crime book. So oh, I'll check that one out. You ever check out a book called... Uh, Mind of a Serial Killer, I think it is. No, I don't think so. That's a great one, man. It's, it? it's I think it's written by an FBI agent who interviewed Dahmer, Richard Ramirez, the Iceman. Damn, yeah. Iceman's crazy. Yeah, this guy, <laughs> there's some crazy stories, especially the Richard Ramirez one, because Lauren grew up here in LA, so did, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, yeah, Rachel totally. and myself. We went through that whole Night Stalker yep. situation here where, like, every summer, you know, it's hot. Nope, close your windows. No. This guy's out there killing people. But he interviews him in prison, and he gets the scoop as to what clicked in this guy, you know, when he was 13, 14. Yeah. Like he watches like special forces uncle in the army behead his wife. Like, holy shit, you're a 13 year old and watching your uncle kill his wife. That started down the path of like, yep, okay, and start doing drugs. I mean, that's going to be hard to come back from at all. Oh, that's just nuts. That's kind of something I realized about a lot of these people also is that they had circumstances in their life that are really, really hard to kind of normalize yourself mm. in your life, experiencing them. And like someone like Henry Lee Lucas, for example, who. His mom made him do the most insane things, and he was just abused to no end. You're not going to come out of that. You're not going to be okay. And I'm not saying that it's 
acceptable behavior. I'm not saying that there's an excuse for it. I'm just saying that there has to be some sort of realization that, all right, how do we build a world where people are able to survive that experience kind of thing? And, yeah. and it's not realistic. I read yeah. an article that a lot of serial killers were born in the month of November, which I found was really, really? interesting. Like the majority of them were born in November. But again, the number Scorpio? Scorpio. Scorpio. Oh, yeah. Scorpio. Again, the number 11 comes up that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> we just saw you the movie Us, and it, yeah, bring us forth in number 11. And, uh, and Richard Ramirez lived in the Cecil Hotel. Mm-hmm. He did? Yeah. Super yeah. haunted oh, Cecil Hotel. Oh, man. He's, he's one of the ones I, I wrote to for a little while. Oh, wow. And um, it wasn't really interesting. I can't say that. It was kind of like writing to 15-year-old. All he talked oh. about was, I like listening to heavy metal, send me Cosmopolitan issues. It was disappointing. Who did you end up, can you say about who you wrote or? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I can. Okay, well, Jenner, a, a lot of them aren't exciting. A lot of them are just what you would consider just lower level, not exciting. Right. What was your goal in writing to them? Would you ask questions about why they did what they did or was it more just finding out what they were like now after the the fact i just wanted to see if they were normal people yeah and they're not to huh. be fair most of them have converted to extreme religious behavior the other ones dwell within this small little bubble of, of coping mechanism i guess where they don't really have much to offer again you know they're living in a very specific situation i thought it'd be a little more enlightening but it's just even cooler to read the books and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Not cooler, but... What, what year did you start writing? 2005, I want to say. That long? Like, stopped about four years ago, so... Uh, why'd you stop? Got bored of it. Yeah. It was, like, too much work. Yeah. yeah. Like a heavy vibe. It's a heavy vibe, but also it becomes this uh, situation where, since they have nothing else to do, it's very dependent. Uh, so just, some of them you have, like, copious letter communications... That went over for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you don't have to tell us who, but like, what do you have? Some that like more than ten letters? No, no, not not more than ten. Just because it it usually takes a long time for responses and all that, and but like five maybe. Yeah, like five, six. Maybe there's only one that's like extreme content where they actually say anything related to to their situation. But usually they just avoidance, avoidance, and they want to talk about everything else. There's one where all all I have from him is recipes, which is what? kind of funny. For <laughs> what? One of them's for like a barbecue sauce. Oh, um, spaghetti, like a meat sauce, like a spaghetti sauce kind of thing. That's and not Dahmer, like, is like it? Like a meat right. sauce. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I know this kind of um, underground subculture of collecting serial killer artwork and things like that. Did you ever get involved in that? Did it go that far? I did, but that was more purchases from other collectors. Yeah. Because there are a lot of collectors that are way more serious than I am. And also a lot of the artwork that kind of mattered, the people were already gone by the time that I got into it. So I had to just buy it from other collectors, right. like, like the Gacy paintings and things like that. You know, it was enticing because when I was young, that was a, a dream, just like a golden ticket item where I was like, whoa, I own a real Gacy painting. And then after a while, it's like anything else where you realize it's another object kind of thing, a heavy one. But the items that kind of messed me up the most are, are I started collecting suicide letters. Wow. Oh, wow. Shit. And uh, like from, from families and things like that, sometimes estate sales, that kind of thing. Kind of the same curiosity where I was wondering, is, is there a link between all of these situations. Same kind of thing. There really isn't an obvious link, I would say. It's just kind of 
very individual situations, which is somewhat almost silver lining because that, that means yeah. that we do have an actual... Do uh, you see any common denominators or threads that uh, with these letters? Never did. Is there a general like, length to them? Most of them are like one to two paragraphs, the short paragraphs. That Actually, that is uh, a link. Some of them are really long. Come to think about it, I guess that would be the link. That's yeah, kind of... short. Yeah, short and sweet. How many do you occupy or have? Right now, we sold most of them just because they were just too much of a burden. But right now, I think we have four left. And you uh, have at your peak. And we've probably had like 15, 16. Wow. They're really hard to find. Really hard to find. How old were some of them? The earliest one we have is from 1942. Wow. That one I still have. We have the newspaper clippings from it and all that. Are so, any of these like notable people? Anybody famous? Or? No, no, no. They're just <clears throat> that's more more interesting. And are they are they saying uh, goodbye to their family and loved ones? They all mention the families. Most of them reference the families as in like take care of so and so. Just references to things that they're leaving behind for someone else. That kind of thing. Even the excuses of why it happens vary a lot because it's uh, I should excuse is a rough word it's not really an excuse but the explanation of what's happening like some of them the one from 1942 is because he was just in agony at all times just he had a medical condition with his stomach or something and they couldn't do the surgery and he was in so much pain every day that he just says sorry can't do it gotta go i'm out but something these people committed suicide in what way the interesting thing doesn't actually say a lot of the letters on don't. Any of them. There's probably four of them that I know just because of the newspaper clippings. Three of those are hanging. One of those was a high school student who shot himself. He wrote the note on the back of a high school art project. Says, you know, here's my final project, blah, blah, blah. And that note's to his mom. Oh. Um, and that is from the 70s. Going through all that and putting yourself through all that, which is... A very heady process. When you came out the other side, how do you think that that influenced your work and your ability to emote through these stories that you're creating in music? Do you think it elevated it? Do you think you got something out of it that bleeds through now? I think it made me realize that there's a lot more people dealing with severe depression than they let on than they lead, and it kind of made me feel almost better about the low points and downtimes and all that. And it made it more acceptable to kind of write about it. It made me want other people to know that there's other people feeling like them and that there is, you know, a light at some point. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be right around the corner, but, but there is a light and there are other people that feel as low as you do. And that's okay. That's okay to have that moment. It really, really broke my heart to just hold pieces of time that just couldn't hold on long enough to see that. And that was a concept that I kept coming back to while writing the record. What if they had just held on a little bit longer? It's a weird place to to put yourself in. And definitely I've always, considering the, the macabre aspects of my interests, I should say, I've always been somewhat dwelling in the low points. <laughs> and I think that's okay. I don't think that's a bad thing. As long as you can manage and you know that things are good, things are fine, things are great. It's kind of where the, the whole title came from is, is you know, there's the, the duality of people at their lowest. When someone asks them how they're doing, they're like, yeah, everything's fine. It's yeah. Just, just brush it off. And at the same time, everything is fine. You just got to find that wonderful life aspect to it. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely a value to it. Only in the last hundred years have we pushed death out of our lives. 200 years ago, 150 years ago, death was all around us and it's something we all talked about. And it's really a 20th century industrialization where we industrialized the process and they started embalming people and do, taking death out of the home. 
And then it would make sense that in that vacuum, there becomes a depression and a sadness. There's a Latin term called memento mori, which I'm sure you know. It means reminder of death. Remember, we're all going to die. It's like when you see a skull on someone's desk in old paintings, it's called a memento mori. It's just remember you're going to die. I always forget the name of it, but there's this book that was created during the plague in Europe because all the priests kept dying. So no one could give last rites. So there's this book that they gave people so that they could, how to live a better life. It's also a Latin term. It's called the good death. It was a way of learning how to live a good life so that you can have a good death and go to heaven, as opposed to having a priest bless you and then allowing you to go to heaven. That's it's this idea of embracing death as a positive thing. Which really is something that I feel like we should bring back into society. That's what I like about the songs and your music and incorporating that and writing about this stuff and Going to that dark place and sharing that, I think, has a, has a great value to it for that reason. Thank you. Did you say Death Leaves the Home? Did you say that? Yeah, there's a... Well, Death... That sounds like a song title. We can leave you guys alone with two yeah. guitars. <laughs> I got two right there. <laughs> One thing I wanted to note, too, is the production on the record adds an even larger feel to your already very cinematic storytelling. There's all sorts of cool different layers, and uh, I'll choose the song Liars Club as an example. Very eerie soundscape that is also going on under the song. Was that something that came in on the production level after the fact that you applied your song to tape? How did that process work? So for Liars Club specifically, we did guitar and the vocals together, just kind of laid down the bass track. It was a just strange aggression in the room. There were so many different vibes going on at all times. Not like an anger, just just inherent aggression. And there were these old instruments lying around and I just kept just ripping the strings ripping the strings and Ross was like hold on he brings back a mic and he sets it up and he's like do it again (laughs) (laughs) and then uh, I just went around and, and it was kind of we were creating the sounds of how I was feeling while hearing that song back essentially and and that song is one of the only songs that is not obvious in terms of what the content is about because it's very very personal and I don't really mention it much because it's a lot to handle for most people. It's about a terrible situation that happened to one of my close friends. I just have so much hatred about that situation that it's really, really easy to to just bring it back right away. And that's kind of what I wanted to get across with that tension behind the, the actual song itself. Wow. So, so the aggression was completely captured in the studio. <laughs> that's amazing. On Edmund. Temper. Was that Edmund? Ed Kemper. Yeah, 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 Kemper. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a crazy true crime story. Yes. Someone to look up to. It really is. There's thundering percussion going on. There's a theremin. Is there a theremin on that song? Yeah. Is that what I'm hearing? That's awesome. Oh, I that's love cool. theremin. I play the theremin a lot. Oh, so that's cool. Nice. That's cool. <laughs> that was one of those instruments that was definitely... Uh, just me being stubborn going, no one knows plays Thurman. I'm going to learn how to play Thurman. <laughs> That's like the horror sci-fi yeah. instrument. Totally. The official sound of that. Yeah. yeah. Did it take you a while? How did it So long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> You got to find a note. Yeah. yeah. Claire Rockmore is one of my favorite thereminists ever. Probably one of the most important ones. And I watched so many videos about her hand positions and all that. Because instead of just, like most people that end up playing it, just kind of do this wobbly trying to find the note thing. Yeah. <laughs> but watching her videos, I realized that she actually has hand positions for each note. It's 
crazy. It's almost like you're signing the oh, interesting. actual wow. notes. That's a great way of looking at it. I it's love that. It's amazing. It's like a pretty consistent way to get the note, huh? Yeah. Because yeah. you know if you're standing oh, wow. this far and your, your theremin's tuned you know, at this distance for you, if you're kind of holding here, like this is going to be C and then here's going to be A and then you're able to just maneuver based on, on the distance of that hand position. Yeah. And so that, that was all just watching Claire Rockmore videos and stuff like that. That's crazy. Wow. The Edmund Temper percussion and all that was a lot of fun too because we wanted to get this this roaring thunderous snare type sound, but we didn't want the direct snare hit. So what we ended up doing, we taped a snare drum to a plastic chair and just with a mallet, I was banging the chair, which would make the snares rattle. And then we basically just blow that out to create this... Kind of oh, sound. Wow. That's awesome. It was a lot of fun. Do you get inspired by the sounds of horror films and horror movie soundtracks or the composers or movies that you like in particular or do you even reference when going in to record? You know, it's funny. I really, really enjoy the the new expressions of, of what the soundtrack of the Nick, which not necessarily yeah. horror itself, but is it Cliff Martinez? I don't know. If, I, I want to say yes. Probably, yeah. yeah. I want to say yes. He, does, doesn't, he do all of Soderbergh stuff. Yeah. And that's obviously that's a kind of newer take on on the old stuff because that, <laughs> right. that really is just an homage essentially. But the sounds themselves, I think, are a lot of uh, me liking noise when I was young, hitting pots and pans and things like that. I was a big fan of how things sounded. I always believed that there was some sort of musicality to every single sound in general. I started watching these, these John Cage documentaries. Oh, where cool. oh yeah. Was, and I was like, ah, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> and he just had like the, the symphonies of clocks and all that yeah. stuff. It was, it was mind blowing to me. And then I've always wanted to be able to play with every aspect of sound. The songs are a little more traditional in the sense of like, they're not very experimental songs, but I, I try to add as much as I can to get my flavor in. Yeah. Well, like I said, the presentation on the album is each song becomes its own movie. You've got your storytelling, that cinematic storytelling, and then it really comes alive live with all the different things you're doing in yeah. the studio. It's a really, really cool experience. Would love to hear your list of the top five horror films of all time as far as you're concerned. So the reason this is going to be the list that it is, I'm going to name this the movies that changed me. Oh, you're perfect. <laughs> Essentially. I will start with Sleepaway Camp because that's one of my first <laughs> tattoos also was, was oh, the really? cover right here. Where you got it? <laughs> really? Yeah. The... the, the Oh, wow. <laughs> so on, well, on this arm, I have Sleepaway Camp, Dead Alive, Cannibal Holocaust, Black Christmas, oh, nice. Black Christmas um, nice. Land Before Time, because that's just the saddest <laughs> movie of all time. <laughs> to admit, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I don't know what it was about uh, House of the Devil. I really, really love House of oh, the Devil. Yeah. It's, it's one of me, our favorites, too. Yeah. yeah, I think it's really important. Sleepaway Camp. The Devil, August Underground was one of those moments where I had never seen such realistic, well, I should say split between like Guinea Pig series and August Underground. Those two were just kind of a huge shift in what gore could be in a movie. And, you know, having no real storyline whatsoever was kind of shocking to me. It was a bad taste for me. Bad taste. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad taste. And uh, honestly, the original Martyrs. For me. Wow. wow. That came up in a conversation the other day yeah, in this the, very room. It was the French movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was one of the uh, influences for us. That was on his list of movies that he gave his actors. So there was two versions of Martyrs, right? It was a 2008 was the first one, I think, or something? Like a, 2008. 
Eight sounds right, yeah, because then they redid it like two years ago or something. Okay, it was like an Americanized version. That yeah, they re- okay. Oh, I, didn't, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I just I, I, randomly I picked up like a horror hound issue upstairs, and there was a whole special on the new martyrs. Oh, interesting. And I was like, oh, oh shit, we we're just talking about that. So yeah. Has anyone seen? It? Have you seen the new one? I haven't. No, I've. I'm curious. I am curious, but I'm also skeptical, so I've just kind of yeah. kept it at a distance because I really, really, really <laughs> love the original. Right. And, and I'm not trying to be an elitist. <laughs> I just. <laughs> I like what I like. I'm curious about this because I loved House of the Devil as well. What did you like so much about House of the Devil? Because it's the absolute most fascinating slow burn ever. Yes. Like there's a mood that just doesn't leave. It literally, it's like a, you have a string attached to what you're watching and it's just slowly pulling you in (laughs) without knowing and I love that it's not the sound scares it's not like giant moments where the moments it's just beautifully executed and terrifying it's just it it gets to the raw nature of everybody's fears that's it just I don't know I just remember watching and going oh this is Good. (laughs) (laughs) You probably probably said that at the scene. It was the scene of the car or the girl in the car, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, near the beginning. This is good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember looking at Lauren. We were just like, like, like after that movie ended... It'd been a long time since that happened. We, you and I watched yeah, it on, yeah, yeah. You know, we rented it or whatever we did. And we sat there and we just looked at each other and we're like, okay, who's going to go upstairs <laughs> first? Like we didn't want to move. We were scared. Yeah. It's a really silly thing to relate it to, but so I have a little Boston Terrier, right? And nothing scares her except slow motion. Like, <laughs> slow movements. <laughs> Nothing scares her. Like, you could yell, you could throw anything, and she just goes, mm. but if you move slowly at her, she's dead. And that's kind of the same thing. Just that that slow vibe, just slow burn, just like, I was like, oh, stop, stop, stop. That's right. We're, we're the yeah. terriers in that yeah. movie. We're the Ty West terriers. Uh, <laughs> the other thing about that movie, too, is the the premise is just so creepy like i'm here for the babysitting job <laughs> it was cool because we had we had ty west here and you know we we're discussing the movie with them and i loved it so much because it's like he recreated the 80s yeah. you know down to the coke cups remember and all the pizzas great and all that. Yeah. Cool, cool. i thought it was shot in the 80s like we were discussing <laughs> that we're like yeah, where's that actress today perfect. yeah you know? <laughs> i was like no this is made a few years ago you know i really enjoyed innkeepers too yeah, yeah. 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 Innkeeper's yeah amazing. Big fan. i think i'm just a fan of his work yeah. Yeah. yeah didn't he do a short in um vhs vhs yeah he did was yeah. it vhs two couples or? he did the hotel room one. Oh, with the knife yeah yeah okay i like that too would you say that it feels like a horror renaissance hitting us now. Absolutely. What would you say were some of the most recent cinematic offerings that you've you've loved? So I will say within the last six months, we've been strictly on tour. I've had like today off oh, wow. since October. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I've, I've been a little out of the loop. And it happens to me too. Like I'll be like, I never saw that movie and I'm like oh, yeah. yeah I was on tour yeah <laughs> you're just <laughs> leaving it's, it's like you're on pause and just yeah, yeah. You're time traveling right you catch but, up though yeah I really really like Get Out a lot Have I think that's the last us? one I saw like in the movie you haven't theater. seen us yet haven't seen us yet oh, no you're gonna like I'm yeah, waiting yeah, yeah we, you're gonna like that one I think we get See, home uh, Hereditary yeah so I really really loved a lot of the movement in, in Hereditary I was talking to one of my buddies the other day where I feel like at some point it was over explaining for people that weren't gonna get how deep it was mm-hmm. which is fine it happens all the time but i loved that it was a lot deeper than the face value of it yep and i thought that was great i thought yeah. it was written 
wonderfully. Big, big fan. Is that behind? See that behind? Yeah. I think that was one of the one of the better movies in, that I've seen in a long time. Not so recently, kind of older, but I think the last movie that threw me off completely because I just had no idea what I was in for was Cabin in the Woods. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah. I, I went in, I was bored, and we went to see it. I was like, what? Is this right? Yeah. What is going on? Hey, there's a unicorn. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what they wanted to do. Oh, yeah. right, twist it. I thought it was just going to be another Evil Dead play kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. but right. so much cooler. I thought that was funny, but I also really, really love the the, the horror comedy sector in general like I mean, we were talking about Shaun of the Dead earlier yeah that's yeah. right that's it's genius it's amazing <laughs> yeah what we do in the shadows yes <laughs> I haven't seen the is the TV show out yet yeah, yeah start, it just started, started. Yeah. okay I'm, I'm excited for that, oh, that yeah. Movie, yeah that movie's great man I just I love mixing the two and that's something that I think is really important is kind of hitting both ends of the spectrum at once because obviously it is possible I really liked Anna and the Apocalypse did you see that no I didn't see that one really good I'll yeah, take it out yeah in the spirit of Shaun of the Dead it's a zombie what is it musical like, yeah zombie romantic comedy <laughs> zombie musical teen movie but it's got like good gore yeah and good songs yeah. Yeah. it's funny as a scout's guide to the apocalypse oh yeah, oh, yeah. that was amazing yeah. and then also Pet Cemetery was really good the new one that just came out it is good yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I have so much. I mean, we get home day after tomorrow for a few weeks, so I know what I'll be doing. <laughs> so where's home? Is, is home not L.A. anymore? I, you were living here for a while, but... We're in Texas. Texas? Yeah, we're about an hour west of Austin. Oh, wow. cool. Oh, nice. Oh, nice hill country. Yeah, it's beautiful nice. out there. It's quiet. No traffic. Peaceful. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and a good creepy place to watch some horror. Alamo <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got all the good Alamos, and where we're by, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> <laughs> Alamo Drafthouse, is that the theater that like kicks your ass out if you talk? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Hell yes. Sometimes they're brutal, like way too brutal. Really? Yeah. They're like, oh, you sneezed? Get the... <laughs> like, do they literally have ushers in the theater? Because they now they... I mean, when I was a kid, I remember you used to have ushers in the theater, like kicking people out. Now... Pff. Well, they have food. They deliver food so yeah. people walk into the theater. Oh, Okay. Wow, Trevor's yeah. gonna open one here. <laughs> yeah, the one, the one in LA opens uh, this summer. Yes. Finally, oh no way! Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. no way! Awesome. Super exciting. Yeah. yeah, really, really exciting. And they also don't. They have a, a time limit on entrance after the movie starts. Okay, you can't go in after a certain amount of time. What is it like? 10, 15 minutes, I think, after the movie starts, they just say, so, "Yeah, you're wow. done." Oh my god! <laughs> I love this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> That's my pet peeve, man. Going into a movie and people talking and. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, yeah. actually, we were watching, uh, we went to see the, the new It. Yes. The, yeah. the, and there was a row, it was like a Friday, and there was a row of seven kids next to us. Oh. And I was so torn, because yes, they were loud, they ruined the whole thing for oh, me. No. But at the same time, I know that they snuck in there. That was <laughs> that was just the best moment of their life where right, they felt right. they felt bad, you know. And they were having just their little moment where they were gonna be like, Oh, you don't know what we did. That was a rush. And I didn't want to destroy that for them. So I was like, I'll just watch it again. <laughs> you, you guys have your moment. Enjoy enjoy it. And, Man, because you would have intimidated the shit out of them <laughs> if you were. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Your first attempt at becoming a filmmaker, right? Mm -hmm. Now you fast forward to today, and let's say you get a break from music for a while after the tour and all that, you know? This is something you can come back to now. I mean, we have technology where you can make a movie on your iPhone. Are you thinking about that? 
I always write stuff down. Like I have a lot of little notebooks with story ideas and just things that I wish I could see happen or come to life. And I've always dreamt of kind of going back to something like that. But at the same rate, technology's advanced so much yep. that it terrifies me because I, I feel like I'll just never catch up. I'll never, I don't know what what's happening now. I bought a camera the other day just because... I wanted to get back into just, I'm mean, like a picture camera just to have on the road and take pictures of pretty stuff and whatever. And I turned that thing on. And I was like, what the hell is that? Like, what happened to just clicking the button and then it takes the picture and no, now it asked me for all these settings and all that. I was like, this is, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> it's just, you know, I, my, my brain doesn't work in that way. I'm not a very technological person. So, so it's terrifying. It's a terrifying thing. And I respect everybody who, who's able to keep up with that and do that so much because it's fascinating. It's a different type of brain. It's, it's an elevated form of, uh, of thinking in my eyes. You know what? You just got to drive a couple miles down the road and knock on your neighbor's house. You know, Robert Rodriguez go, hey, dude, we got to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you know how to do this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you know what? I do want to know from your entire catalog, what is your most personal song? A song called Cocaine and Abel. Oh, that's a beautiful song, it's, man. Thank you. It's the, yeah, the first one off the, the new record. It was a weird one because it, I wanted it to be as honest and open and personal as possible without sounding like it made no sense. I didn't want it to be simply me stating things that I'm sad about, essentially. And it was a fun process to just kind of let it roll off the tongue, just let it exist. And, and it drove itself home that was a hard one to get used to playing live because it just never gets easier kind of right, thing yeah not yet at least but it's i mean I'm, I'm sure you got tons of songs that are just like hard as hell to sing and having dealt with all the true crime items did any that you obtained after it give you crazy nightmares like i would be so scared i will tell you we have something in our collection because we collect a lot of like human stuff too like human remains and all that oh wow but all of it feels really good and then there was one point where we were just kind of amassing things really quickly through auctions and stuff like that and we didn't really have time to sort things one by one and then we realized we have something in the collection i don't know what it is one thing has to be one thing that's just destroying our lives uh, no. <laughs> at home. Like a bad omen? A yeah. curse, maybe? Something, something that Is has possessed? been... I, I don't know about possessed. Maybe just something that doesn't like being where it is or whatever it is, and we can't figure it out. Because it's not any of the obvious things. Because all the all the things that I was like, ah, it's you. Definitely you. I'll hold it. I'm like, nah, you're fine. Right, right, right. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> and, and we can't figure it out, but it's, it's funny how it's going to end up being the dumbest thing. Does anything like haunted happen or like anything weird at your house? Have you experienced anything like that ever? When I was younger, a lot. I think I've shut myself off from it now or maybe just accepted it. Right. That might be the thing where I don't necessarily react to it how I used to. But, you know, when I was younger, I was so scared of it that I, I, I felt things all the time. I, yeah, I remember specifically one apartment we lived in. It was me and my mom, my little sister. And and there was this lady at the end of the hall that my mom would see, I would see, my sister would see. We were always just nothing physical, but definitely partial type situation. And our trash chute was at the end of the hall. I have never run faster in my life. Every single time I had to throw that trash away. And then at some point I realized nothing ever happened. Nothing bad ever happened. Like she was probably awesome. She was probably there to help or probably there to just exist. And uh, that kind of led me on this, you know, if you're there, you're there. Cool. Let's hang out. That's thanks for being here. 
Thanks for letting me be here. Right. <laughs> that kind of thing. Amigo, we're going to hear some music now, but thank you so much, man. The album Everything is Fine, available everywhere now. Yes. Go see him live all summer long. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, thank you so it. much for being here, man. The Blue Crew. We broadcast over 666 kilohertz on the AM band. Movie scores, soundtracks, and bands. It's killer tracks on Terror Tunes. Music is my life. Live in studio with the Boo Crew, you can watch the video of this performance at youtube.com slash the Boo Crew, Amigo the Devil, playing three songs from his brand new album, Everything is Fine, available everywhere now. Distance from the man that I am To the man I want to be The time it takes to realize Time is the distance I need But I was born impatient And I was born unkind But I refuse to believe I have to be the same person I was born when I die Cause change is alright Change is alright I'm not proud of all the choices I've made For a lot of my life Following the shadow when I damn well know That behind me is the light But I've lied to my mother I've made people feel like hell But I refuse to believe I have to keep being cruel Cause I'm a coward myself And time is not patient Patience takes time Excuses will only do good If you're waiting around to die Everyone is born with self-worth How easily it turns to doubt It takes letting go of what we know can't live without But the blood in the water It is the blood of my brother We both learned it didn't mean a thing In the end, if one was thicker than the other Then I tried having faith but I'll rot like a dove Cause I've always been scared Of loving someone Just a little bit more Than I'm loved Losing is fine 
everything is fine. I lighten the mood now. This is the Boo Crew Podcast. And love songs are the best. Trust me, I'm not jealous. I'm just hoping that he really messes up. I'm not so much afraid of letting go as much as scared of giving up. And all the distance that we've spent apart will never have to mean a thing. Every mile I traveled was to find the perfect stone to fit your ring Cause I, I, oh I, I, I hope your husband dies I hope your husband dies Living in the moment's hard when everything I want is in the past But now you're with this asshole You expect me to believe it's gonna last No, no But when I had you near me I just couldn't think of anything to say Now that I'm alone I've got the perfect things to tell you every day Cause I, I, oh I, I, I hope your husband dies, I hope your husband dies. Trust me, I'm not jealous, I'm just hoping that he really fucks things up. I'm not so much ashamed of being alone, just kind of feel I've had enough. But time and time again, time reminds me, you'll never be my own. We'll never have a house to decorate. A place that we can call our home So I, I, oh I, I I hope your husband dies I hope your husband dies Oh I, I Oh, I, I, I hope your husband dies. Went to the bar to get a little closer to myself and learn things I never really wanted to know. Walk got a little far, so I got into a cab that smelled like vinegar Stains that showed what's in the girl before 
Cause I want to be where all the stupid shit I say Sounds so romantic and true Cause I'd rot in hell with you If you just asked me to I love the shitty things we do together Live with me in this scene forever Hell and you I know you wanted to I say you take the shot See this chance Feel the fire And let me have this dance with you Oh, we take things a little far But you couldn't name a place I wouldn't go with you a plane, a train, a car I'd run If I was dead I'd float I'd crawl in bed with you Even on someone else's blood On top of someone else's love In the worst motel we'd find Cause home is the last place that I'd stand to be With anyone but you Cause I'd rot in hell with you If you just asked me to I love the shitty things we do together Live with me in this scene forever Hell and you I know you wanted to I say you take the shot See this chance Feel the fire And let me have this dance with you I'd rot in hell with you If you just asked me to I love the shitty things we do together Live with me in this sin forever That was the Buku Podcast, episode 45. Special thanks to our guest, Amigo the Devil. Follow him at Amigo the Devil on Instagram and Twitter and AmigoTheDevil.com for tour dates near you. If you're listening to this at time of release all summer long, be sure to get the new album, Everything is Fine, available everywhere now. Till next time, it's the Buku saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Bye.